Hey, I'm Lee from Dublin, Ireland. I'm Nick, Showtime Bellotta from Rhode Island. I'm Blake from Oakland, California. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking this week to Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. They're the stars of the Comedy Central show, Key and Peele. Jordan does a pretty amazing Barack Obama impression. You, you might have seen it on the internet. And I think it's grounded in something that's maybe a little more insightful than just a study of how Obama's voice sounds. I, I do hear it subtly when he's talking to, you know, a group of yeah. African-Americans, you know, yeah. and, it, and it comes in sort of the, black people. It's sort of the, the form of a, almost a, almost a twang to it. You guys know, you know, sort of channels MLK or something. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, uh, and and his timber changes a little bit, and so does his voice goes up. His voice goes up, does it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can see him. I mean, when I hear him talking that way, I kind of, I kind of feel like he's like, oh, this is gonna be fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think. Well, you know, he always has a little smile. You know, he knows he knows he's with uh, friends. He knows he's with family. It's Bullseye. This week, Key and Peele talk about their comedy beginnings on Mad TV, impersonating everyone from presidents to weathermen to gang members on their Comedy Central show, and an absurdly complicated card game that Jordan Peele designed himself. Plus... I face down a gaming obsession of my own, and the Brothers McElroy solve listeners' pop culture quandaries on our My Brother, My Brother, and Me segment. It's all coming up right here on Bullseye. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Every week on the show, we're joined by one of our favorite culture critics to recommend a few things that are worth your time. This week, we're joined by our weblink guru, Jason Kotke of Kotke.org. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Jesse? I'm fantastic. I'm really excited because I just watched this uh, video that you recommended called Vol Libre, which is a computer-generated animation from 1980 that absolutely blew my mind. It was made by this guy, Lauren Carpenter, who was a Boeing engineer at the time. In 1980 in Seattle, he presented a paper at SIGGRAPH, which is a, a computer graphics conference, and his paper was about using fractal math to generate computer graphics. And, it, you know, it was a pretty technical talk. And then he showed this two-minute video. And the video starts with some, you know, triangles and things like that. And then all of a sudden, this, this mountain range, like, rises out of nowhere, sort of generated by fractals. And it looks like if you squint, you know, it looks really real. And the crowd just went crazy. You got a standing ovation. Ed Catmull, who was working at Lucasfilm at the time, um, went up to him and offered him a job on the spot. I can imagine watching it, you know, in 1980 and and just knowing that you're seeing the future. Let's talk about the Tommy Westfall universe. I mean, there is this thing that that nerds do where they obsess over the details of the something of verse. Right, like the Mario verse, the world in which mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers takes place, the Zelda verse. This is a way of connecting basically everything. The eighties medical drama Saint Elsewhere, there was a character in a Tommy Westfall, and he was an autistic kid. And in in the last scene of the show, after it had run, I don't know, it was like six or eight seasons, it's revealed that this kid dreamt the whole show. 
And so some enterprising fan basically said, huh, well, if he dreamt the whole show, this show had crossovers with other shows, meaning that that St. Elsewhere characters appeared on, uh, for instance, Homicide, Life on the Street, and Cheers. St. Elsewhere? I was forced to have my kid in that mortician's delight. Hey, hey, everybody! These two butchers work at St. Elsewhere! Welcome to Cheers, Doctors Jekyll and Hyde. Who recommended this? I overheard Ehrlich talking about it. You'd figure <laughs> And so that means Homicide and Cheers are also within this kid's mind. Oh, and then you have Frasier. Yeah. There are hundreds of shows. Shows like The X-Files, uh, Star Trek, uh, The Wire, Rest of Development, Brady Bunch, Gilligan's Island. There's, there's, there's hundreds of shows because all these shows have had characters you know, on other shows, and it all leads back to St. Elsewhere. Well, then it really is beautiful to imagine that all of our favorite television programs were the dream of an autistic child. Yeah, the TV is not just fake. It's fake, like, twice over. <laughs> um, Jason Kotke from Kotke.org recommends the computer-animated short Vol Libre and the Tommy Westfall universe. You can find links to both of those, both on Kotke.org and on our website. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Thanks, Jesse. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. The three brothers McElroy host the MaximumFun.org advice podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. And from time to time, they join us here on Bullseye to help solve some pop culture quandaries sent in by our audience. Justin, Travis, Griffin, how are you? Doing great. Good. How are you? We have some just absolutely tremendous uh, questions that need your expert or, frankly, inexpert guidance. (laughs) Um, Why don't we get straight to them? Uh, Here's a question from Katie. Uh, She's wondering uh, about movie and concert posters. Are they acceptable to put on the walls of an adult's apartment or house? Uh, Sub-question, what if they're framed? Um, I I would say, as a man who once had an Ace Ventura when Nature Calls poster (laughs) on his wall, not movie posters. Not a goof. Not a goof. For radio, I still have a uh, a tombstone poster hanging up in my wife's office because it helps her to think. That's not a joke either. That's, that's, but that's a great movie. What if you have a, a poster for a bad movie and you didn't know? That's the worry that you run into. Oh, comic book posters are war- straight out, by the way. If you have yeah. a p- picture of a, a super team, I don't care who drew it. Get Damn it off it. of there. You say that, and I'm staring at my Superman poster. No, but it's Alex Ross. It is. It's, it's, it's beautifully okay because done. because it's Alex Ross. It's artwork. I think that the poster <laughs> maybe has to be from a movie that came out before you were born. It has mm-hmm. to be an original poster, not a reproduction, and it should probably be in a foreign language. Yeah. That, all those are I, great I'm, criteria. I would also suggest that it not have been made in Photoshop. It had to be <laughs> if it was drawn by a real ass man or woman, then it's a lot more acceptable, I think. And don't use poster sticky tack because it stains the walls. There's no <laughs> there's no poster that can go up on your walls as an adult without a frame, right? Got a yeah, frame. Uh, it. Definitely not. Can you put posters on outside walls? <laughs> Just to like let people know that like you are coming into a, a Doug Flutie enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> 
abandon all non-fluty ye who enter here. Well, what you have to do is when you put on a movie in your house, you have to put up a now showing marquee outside. <laughs> oh, that's great. With each passing idea, this is sounding less and less like the home of an actual person and more and more <laughs> like an episode of a show on HGTV. <laughs> Maybe something That's where called, the... This show's just called Help! <laughs> I did it wrong. Here's a question from a user on our forum who goes by Concrete Tales. Um, he is wondering whether he can tell his now four-year-old daughter that the shows that she likes, especially Dora the Explorer and Thomas the Tank Engine, are awful. They actually rebooted it. They they rebooted Thomas. Now it's he's just Thomas the Tank. That's a way cooler show. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I, you're, it's your fault, dummy. You think the four year old is like calling the cable company and subscribing to these channels and buying DVDs off of Amazon? Stop giving him bad things. At, at this point, you've lost him. He's closer to Dora and Thomas the Tank Engine than he is to you. When your daughter's like, "Hey, <laughs> I want to watch Dora," I want you to say, "Ooh, instead, let's watch Downton Abbey." <laughs> yeah, yeah your four-year-old's gonna love that it's time yeah. to grow up at this point if you try to take Thomas the tank engine away from your baby they'll put you in a home <laughs> baby, at, the, at the rate adults are going you're gonna start getting put into adult care facilities at around 50 and <laughs> your child will will put you there if you t- try to take Thomas away from her or him i would say you're probably better off just pretending like they never existed Oh, that's great. That's good. Break the DVDs and be like, what? Do- Dora, the w- a talking train? What are you talking about? Won't they be traumatized by you trampling all over the line between fantasy and reality, sort of like me when I watched Return to Oz? <laughs> <laughs> you were the kid that had to hide behind the couch whenever TikTok came on the screen, weren't you? <laughs> oh, man, I was so afraid of TikTok. Like a fat metal genie. I hate that guy. <laughs> I was afraid of everything in that entire movie. Why did I watch it? It's a horrifying movie. When I was a child, I was afraid of the HBO logo they would show before movies. (laughs) That's absolutely true. That's 100% true. I was terrified of it. And the robotic woman from Superman 3. Justin Griffin and Travis McElroy are the hosts of the advice podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, which you can find for free. In iTunes, Zoom, or whatever podcasting software you'd like to use, or online at MaximumFun.org. Gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us on Bullseye. Thank you. I I hope we helped. Coming up in just a second, Bullseye gets as close as it ever will to covering the events of the day as Jordan Peele will reveal how to do a really good impression of President Barack Obama. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. If you've got burning opinions about Bullseye, come discuss them with other fans on our forum at forum.maximumfun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. 
The two met as cast members of the sketch comedy show Mad TV on Fox. Now they star in their own show on Comedy Central, Key and Peele. Both Keegan and Jordan are biracial, and they don't shy away from it. Keegan and I both have white moms. Yes, yes. This is true. We have white moms. And uh, the thing about having a white mom being a black guy is, as a kid, a white mom can't hit a black kid in public. Can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. Gets too racial too That's right. fast. It escalates. It escalates to this racial thing. And I, was, I became aware of this at a very young age. I think my mother spanked me once in the grocery store. Uh-huh. I swear to God, Keegan, I, you know that tear that Denzel Washington does in Glory? <laughs> yeah. When he's getting whipped? That's yeah, yeah. what I did. And I, I promise you, just instinctively it came out of me. This is what I did. Just hit me like you're my mom in the grocery store. I said, Mama, don't you hit no black boy's booty. But to characterize Key and Peele just as racial humorous would be a mistake. The show's fueled by a combination of their fierce comic skills and a genuinely distinctive voice. This clip features Jordan Peele as a college-aged Barack Obama. He's trying to plan the most epic party ever. Everybody focus up. Look, this party tonight could be a model for the way that the world should work. And I just want to say, I'm totally stoked to the max about it. All right? You guys feeling good? Yeah. Oh, Dennis, what, are you shooting video? Yeah, man. All right, well, be careful with that. I might run for office someday. (laughs) Now, trust me, I think that this party can be the most inspirational party this campus has ever seen. Is that coming to me? And just grab that. Mm. <laughs> some righteous bud. Some righteous bud we got going on there. We need some bodacious jock babes coming in. We need some hot ass punk rock babes. I, I, I don't care where they come from. The most important thing, it's imperative that we have a diversity in the uh, uh, department. Intercepted. Don't sleep on Barry Oaks. The second season of Key and Peele is now airing on Comedy Central. We spoke earlier in the year. It was around the time when Key and Peele's first season debuted. Keegan, Jordan, welcome to uh, Bullseye. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, yeah. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about your uh, comedy backgrounds in a minute, but I-, I thought that that was such a perfect sketch to open your first episode with because it is one of the running themes in your show it is that act of translation, that act of cultural translation um, that both of you guys, as both of you are uh, uh, multiracial, both of you have one white parent, one black parent, uh, must be sort of comfortably fluent in by, by sort of by breeding. Yeah, yeah, I think there's there is a culture like a cultural fluency. We're we're bi bilingual, like we are bilingual in a way, and or bi dialectical, if you want to say. And um, it, we just figured the only way. I mean, there, there was no other way to do the show because it's it's like there's a new comedy out there that we think that can be explored and 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 be new and be hopefully innovative and hopefully something that riles the brain a little bit you know? it's also something that informs you know why we do what we do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know we've uh perhaps being a mixed background you know we sort of liken it to sort of walking a tightrope at different points in our lives and uh at, at certain points it feels like we're we're between two worlds or we're part of two worlds or 
we question where our world is. So I think that in itself had something to do with the fact that Keegan and I sought out sketch comedy, uh, an art form where we could literally be chameleons. There's this thing that a lot of comedians have, which is that there was some point in their life where they felt uh, they felt outside, mm-hmm. and comedy was the thing that they felt like could get them back in. Whether it was, you know, and often it's just something simple, like something physical and, uh, you know, schoolyard-y, like they were short or skinny mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was not short. I, I've, I've, in fact, for me, the problem was that I was tall, uh-huh. and, but, but I was definitely skinny and, so, and, and, and really uncoordinated. And the only thing I wanted to be in the whole world, and I'm a little older than Jordan, all I wanted to be was Lynn Swan. And, and, you know, he was, uh, uh, for everybody out there, he was a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 70s. That's all I wanted to be. Could not catch a football. We should explain uh, for yeah. public radio yeah. listeners. He was football. sort of the Henry Kissinger of wide receivers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love this already. That's exactly a great way to describe him. Um, but, yeah, that was, it was a lot of teasing. It, it was. It was the schoolyard teasing. And then when you fall down and somebody laughs, you discover that salve. That everybody goes, oh, man, he ain't that bad. And, mm-hmm. uh, and well, you grew up in Detroit, too. That has to oh, be a, a rough. Yeah, that was a rough. rough one, you know. What was the cultural and ethnic context in which you grew up outside of your families? Well, it's interesting. For me, I thought, uh, uh, as a child, I certainly thought that there were more black people in the world than white people. <laughs> but I've taught. This is the way I speak dialectically. I've spoken like this since I was a child, but I always just assumed there were more black people than white people until, and then we, you know, we drive to Illinois and visit my family in this farming community in Northern Illinois. And it was this magic place. And it just didn't really occur to me until maybe I was like seven or eight. I'm like, so I guess all the white people live in Illinois where there's hills <laughs> and all the black people live in cities, but I live in a city. And when I watch TV, those are cities. So there must be more black people than white people. So I lived in a city that was 85% when I was a kid, 85% black. You figured that white people lived in scattered settlements. <laughs> exactly. They lived in villages. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> they lived in little cities. <laughs> they were like a nom- nomadic people. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like Bedouins, like yeah. really light skinned Bedouins. And, and, and for, so for me, <laughs> churning butter from town to town <laughs> taking their horses and taking goods to each other and 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 so i lived in a the cultural makeup of my city was like 80 percent african-american we had an african-american mayor my father was african-american but my father was a different type you know it's not a secret that african-american life and culture is not a monolith and a lot that is a lot to do with our show as well but um so that was that was my makeup. I, I imagine Jordan that you grew up in a more cosmopolitan place than I did. I mean, yeah, New yeah. Yorker. Yeah. Uh, my my experience, you know, I was raised by my mother. My my, my dad really wasn't around uh, through that. So I, you know, I always sort of put my upbringing probably into context of like Webster or different strokes where, you know, sometimes for some reason it was just sometimes that happened. Sometimes white moms had black kids. Um, (laughs) I I always knew she was my mom. I didn't think I was adopted or anything, but, uh, 
you know, that, that was sort of the... And you understood where babies come I, from. Eventually. Uh, <laughs> and if you, if you have any more knowledge uh, uh, to that, answer that question, I'd be interested to. <laughs> if anybody out there doesn't know, it's gross. <laughs> we'll talk. Look, this, is a, this is a family radio program, so we'll have to talk about this later. <laughs> okay. But I'll draw some pictures for you. And, in fact, I've got some pictures in my bedroom <laughs> underneath my mattress. Already? Yeah. How did you know? Yeah. Was it unusual uh, for you particularly, Keegan, to leave the context of a city that's 85% African-American and be all of a sudden rather than be seen by the world as uh, that mixed guy or that light skin guy as be the black guy. Uh, You know, for me, it's funny. Jordan and I've talked about this a lot in the last week. I, I have always, no, I shouldn't say always for the most part have identified myself as a biracial person much to the chagrin of a lot of African-American people that I meet, you know, because it's like there's a betrayal, almost like an intrinsic betrayal. Don't do that, brother. We need you. We need you here in this form. Why, why you got to make that distinction, though? Brother? Right, yeah. It's why like, you have to make that distinction? I don't mm-hmm. understand, brother. It's always, and it's always educated, brother. It's sound like that. It's like, I understand what the distinction makes. Sense. And please don't say the word mulatto. That is an antiquated term, you know? And it's just like, but, but the thing is, he and I voraciously love our mothers, so where do they fall in the equation? If I'm supposed to be an African-American, where does this little white woman who gave me my life, and I'm adopted, which is a whole other story about sacrifice. These women did so much work. Where do they fall in the equation? And I think that's something that, that is something that really informs why we do our comedy the way we do it. Now, I have a, my, my whole thing has been fascinatingly different in that I've always thought of myself as a black comedian, African-American comedian, African-American man, everything. And, you know, looking at it now because it's, it, it was easier. That's, you know, that's what people see. That's what people expect. That's what, that's what I am. So there's something about doing this show that has been cathartic, something about it that's been very scary and felt almost like I, I, I'm coming out as, as biracial in a weird way. Um, and, uh, Obama's a huge part of that of the oh, yeah. of the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. feeling like that was okay and w- watching uh African Americans acceptance of Obama and uh pride in him has been a huge part of that and encouraging you know hey wait a second yeah this is there's more to the story than that It's bullseye I'm Jesse Thorne my guests are Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peele they star in the Comedy Central program Key and Peele Jordan, you uh, mentioned uh, President Obama. I want to play some of this sketch that has been a huge viral hit for you guys. This is you doing an impression of uh, Obama while uh, Keegan does this. Uh, well, well, we'll let the uh, sketch explain what happens. I, I, I think it does it pretty well. Good evening, my fellow Americans. Now, before I begin, I just want to say that I know a lot of people out there seem to think that uh, I don't get angry. That's just not true. I get angry a lot. It's just that the way I express passion is different from most. So, just so there's no more confusion, we've hired Luther here to be my anger translator. Luther? Hi. First off, concerning the recent developments in the Middle Eastern region, I just want to reiterate our unflinching support for all people and their right to a democratic process. Hey, 
all y'all dictators out there, keep messing around and see what happens. Just see what happens. Watch. Also, to the governments of Iran and North Korea, uh, we once again urge you to discontinue your uranium enrichment program. Hey, Mahmoud, Kim Jong, I think I already told both y'all, 86 years I'm going to come over there and do it for y'all. Please test me and see what happens. On the domestic front, uh, I just want to say to my critics, I hear your voices and I'm aware of your concerns. So maybe if you can chill the hell out for like a second, then maybe I can focus on some shit, you know? That goes for everybody, uh, including members of the Tea Party. Oh, don't even get me started on these motherfuckers right here. This sketch is so loaded. <laughs> this sketch it's has layered. so much content. <laughs> there is <laughs> so much going on in here. <laughs> um, l- let's start with the impression of the president. Yes. I, I think that uh, Bill Clinton was the first president to have a uh, w- I'm talking to white people voice and I'm talking to black people voice. Uh, but, um, you know, I think, uh, Barack Obama, uh, being biracial has, uh, earned it a little bit more. Sure. Sure. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, the, you know, in his actual, uh, his actual white people versus black people voice, I, I do hear it subtly when he's talking to, you know, a group of yeah. African Americans, you know, and it, and it comes in sort of the, black people, it's sort of the, the form of, a, almost, a, almost a twang to it. You guys know, you know, you kind of sort of channels MLK or something. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, yeah. uh, and, and his timber changes a little bit, and so does his voice goes up. His voice goes up, yeah, yeah, does yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can see him. I mean, I, I when I hear him talking that way, I kind of, I kind of feel like he's like, oh, this is gonna be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think. Well, you know, he always has a little smile. Uh, you know, he knows yeah. he knows he's with uh, friends. He knows yeah. he's with family. Yeah. And uh, so, the, it, I, you know, I almost uh, equate it with he he lets himself uh, off guard a little bit. He lets himself off of the produ- of a uh, some of the produ- presidential production because, yeah, he feels uh, familial about it. But I, I think it's probably subconscious. And that, pre- but I mean, that presidential production is a very much a racially charged presidential production because part of what that presidential production is about is saying. I'm a black guy you can trust. Yeah. Yo, well, I mean, yeah. he, he, he's got to. But, you know, one of the great things about Obama is, you know, you really get the impression that uh, he is sort of he, – he looks past and farther than race and that uh, he has sort of consistently refused to engage that discussion almost as if he – Almost as if to say, "Look, man, you know, I'm 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 president. You know, the, this is this is something that you know Martin Luther King didn't even dream of uh, necessarily. So th- there's a point where uh, discussing uh, black and white has has its limits. It's more complicated than that. It, it sort of reminds me of these uh, these cultures that have third genders." where the third gender gets to do a lot of stuff that men and women don't do. Right, right. Where you uh where the president gets to uh do stuff that he couldn't do as a white guy or as a black, black guy. guy. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He he's it's like the most successful hyphenate. I mean, th- we're the luckiest guys in the world. 
<laughs> that may be a stretch. No, yeah, no, you yes. may be stretching a yeah. little. Well, but, but there is something, you know, as we were talking about, you know, there's something about not existing in either world. But, you know, when we're at our best, we're existing in both worlds. And that is a special power in itself. You know, we. Uh, yeah. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah it's, well, you said that also there's, there's this culture and then there's this culture and there's this tightrope that we walk. But the tightrope itself is a culture. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want viewers to examine. Jordan, can you tell me a little bit about how you came to your impression of the president? Well, it was pretty tech, uh, pretty much a technical analysis for a, a long time. Just watched him uh, trying very hard, uh, you know, to say exactly what he says after he says it. That's 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 the first step. Step two is anytime somebody brings him up, you got to swallow your pride and try and do it, even if it's bad. But the, the Wait, just like in public, yeah, just in public, people, you know, hey, man, Obama, yep, well, yeah. Obama, <laughs> somebody call for Obama. You're saying that you're saying that one of the key ingredients of any of any impressionist arsenal is the shamelessness of doing an impression in public whenever anyone says that person's name. Look at impressionists and see how many people they have around them at any given time. It's not a lot. <laughs> we are obnoxious people. I think I, <laughs> anyone who saw that, uh, who, anyone who saw that show, The Trip. Um, can Which I did confirm. Not. Yeah, it's basically it's basically a treatise on the idea that impressionists uh, feel obliged to do impressions whenever oh, gotcha. the name comes up <laughs> and so alienate everyone around them around. until all that's left is one other impressionist that they're friends with that that's they're right. alienated by at the same time. That's the way. That's the way to work on impression. And working with uh, Frank Caliendo and Nicole Parker on Mad TV, two of the best impressionists of all time. Uh, sort of, you know, helped me with different little lessons. One thing that Nicole was very, very good at is you learn where the noise is coming from. You know, when you make a sound, it vibrates in a different part of your body. So for Obama, you had to, had to sort of first figure out that, well, it comes from his, his diaphragm, sort of like a, you know, like a, a proper sing, singing uh, strategy is to come from your diaphragm. But then it's also uh, up in his, uh, his nasal passage a little bit. So when I uh, put those two together uh, and uh, then purse the mouth a little bit, all of a sudden he starts uh, appearing. And then, uh, yeah, practice. Stick around more with Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele of Key and Peele in a minute. Jordan will even tell us about a card game he designed. He made his own cards and everything. Plus, I've got a gaming obsession of my own. Has a video game ever been so good that it tears you away from everything that's important to you? Or everything that used to be important to you before you discovered that video game? Well, it happened to me. I started playing a game that rhymes with Guy Rim. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radio, International. Have a favorite Bullseye segment? It's easy to share it with your friends. You can find links to our page on SoundCloud at MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. They star in the Comedy Central show Key and Peele. Season 2 is now airing on that network on Wednesday nights. We spoke earlier in the year. It was around the time when Key and Peele's first season debuted. They first started working together on Mad TV. Here's a sketch from that show. Keegan and Jordan are playing gang members fighting over their turf. Jordan resorts to some unusual fighting tactics. 
you can't see it, but uh, Keegan will explain it on the tape. Hey, you tell Roshan to meet me at the Lafayette underpass, okay? Hey, hey, and he better bring that suitcase, too. Now go! Well, well, well! What do we have here? I believe I gave you 24 hours to disappear, yeah? Well, I ain't bouncy! Yeah, I specifically gave you 24 hours to get out of town, and here it is 48 hours later, and you still standing here. That's disrespect. Well, I don't care what you call it, all right? Because I'm like a rock, son. Oh, you like a rock, huh? Yeah, you like I'm a, a rock. rock. I don't move. Okay, let me understand this correctly. Then You are like a rock, and a rock don't move, huh? Rock moved. Okay, you know what? You need to be a little bit careful about what you be pushing, all right? Because the laws of physics clearly state that an object you might push might come and push you back. Okay, so you want to do this now? Yeah, I want to do, do this right here. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, let's do Come on, let's go, man. Let's go. Let's go. Grab my ass. Y'all was about to kick your ass, man. We didn't kick it, don't grab it. Okay. Come on, Come on man. Let's, yeah, go. let's go. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Get it again. Then what? You grabbed my ass. Man, I was doing no such thing, man. That's wishful thinking. You guys work together on Mad TV. Um, which was a uh, a very long running and uh, critically maligned television program. <laughs> um, I've I've interviewed a number of really brilliant people who worked on Mad TV. Sure. Um, and uh, one of the things that I learned in interviewing people about Mad TV that I was I was really surprised by was I learned that the audience at Mad TV are uh, is composed or was composed. Uh, substantially of actual teenagers. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, oh yes. Like, yeah. What, what? Oh, yeah, I did. Man. I did a sketch comedy show once for teenagers <laughs> when I was doing sketch, and um, I it's hard for teenage. Oh yeah, because did you, you try d- farting <laughs> or making a fart sound. I mean, the thing is, frequently <laughs> is there is just you just have to do you just have to do a lot to get to a teenager. It's oh, not yeah. because not because teenagers are any less um, not because teenagers are any less bright or engaged than anyone else. Mm-hmm. They just have a lot of defenses up. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so, essentially, what you can do to get to a teenager is. Punch them in the face with something. Right. You have to, yeah, yeah, or, 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 yeah, because if you completely disarm yourself, they'll attack. <laughs> or, or you can ap- uh, appeal to ultimately the bully in teenagers. You know what? Yeah. What teenagers are ready to laugh at is the misery of other people. Teenagers, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. safety, safety in the herd, right? Steady diet of Schadenfreude. So oh, you know, yeah, you'll yeah. notice Mad TV didn't really pull punches when talking about certainly celebrities Jeez. or people like that, and it was <laughs> yeah, it was right, it was right for uh, the Scut Farkases of the world. <laughs> I mean, it was Christmas ru- story reference. Christmas, yeah, this, no, that's right. For, oh, that's right, the Farkas, yeah. Um, uh, it is. It was. I mean, literally, like thirteen-year-olds, thirteen-year-olds, fourteen-year-olds, people who I would have thought wouldn't have been allowed to watch the show were big no. fans of the it, show. It was a. Uh, it was a very 
there was a, there there were a lot of things about Mad TV that are are inherently ex- uh, very difficult and maybe maybe ill advised. I mean, in its in its <laughs> yeah, 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 in yeah. its in inception, it was something to compete against SNL. You know, the greatest sketch of all time it had a thirty year head start, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so when that's the DNA of the show already, it's not Mad. It's cracked TV. You know, it's it's a. Uh, it's it's <laughs> no, that's a great way of putting it. It's, it's, it's not mad; it's crack because it's like <laughs> mad pre uh, uh, pre uh, historized. What I was about to, you know, it, it, it was a it was a progenitor of uh, yeah. I know SNL. the word you're thinking of, but I don't yeah. know it. But it, you know, it came before SNL. But the thing is that that, that refinement that you would have assumed might have come. I just said refinement and mad mad magazine in the same, in the same sentence. sentence. But there, there, the, that historical context couldn't be used. There was, there was no, there, there was no way to make it work. We and all, so we were Keegan always competitive. Keegan competing. and I had uh, pitched several times, I believe, that we we were obsessed with somehow updating Spy versus Spy. spy yeah. And doing like... They just didn't. They were not interested <laughs> in it. You know, they were interested in just destroying celebrities. And and that was the stuff that was most popular on the show. I remember and, I interviewed Andy Daly, who I think might be the funniest person. Oh, and um, yeah. Andy Daly w- was on Saturday on, on Matt TV, TV for yeah. several years, and um, he he told me that as as the as his years on Mad TV went on, I think he was on for t- three years or something like yeah, that. Yeah. He became increasingly obsessed with this sketch pitch he had for uh, it, it was a sort of behind the music style sketch about uh, the world's greatest straight man. <laughs> and he became more and more obsessed. He would repeatedly pitch this sketch because he realized that he was appearing in all these sketches that didn't have any straight men. <laughs> just, just everyone was being crazy he's, at each other. He's yeah. awesome. He's so good. Well, and, and, and we pitched a sketch where both of us were straight men. Not the salesman sketch. I mean, our mustache sketch. Oh, it's not us. Right. It's the it's the it's the it's what's on our faces. That's the comedy of the scene right. of the scene. Three times, three times we pitched the sketch. Didn't do it, and then we finally did it on online. And then it got a, a very respectable number of hits online. It's it just like that. They wanted. You can find if you go back. I mean, it takes a lot of work. But if you go back and look at Mad TV, if you tuck. There were lots of lovely sketches tucked in amongst a lot of the popular culture stuff. And as long as we were feeding the beast, they were going to keep making the popular cultural stuff. But I mean, there. I watched a very funny oh. sketch uh, that I, I really enjoyed that featured the two of you guys working together as a pair of guys obsessed with uh, obsessed with uh, good luck and hexes. Superstition. Gambling. Yeah. And you were basically you you had each. Each round of gambling was uh, interspersed oh, yeah. with a complex stepping routine. Right, right, um, right. In the in the uh, African American fraternity sense of stepping, like um, you know, mm. complicated dance sequences. Right, right. Um, that involved a lot of high fives. Um, and uh, this is at a casino. This yeah, this is at a casino. In a, in a casino. The, yeah. And it was a uh, very funny. And I also like by the time it got to minute four, I was so exhausted watching it. <laughs> oh gosh, we were we killed ourselves. Oh man, we destroyed one. ourselves doing that. Quick, man, we gotta make this text now, dog. Come on, man up, yo. Man up, man up, man up, man up. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep that good luck rolling.
all I could think was just uh, I was as I was watching you, it was really funny. But all I could think of was you and those t- just trying to get those teenagers to keep laughing. <laughs> yeah, man, there, yeah, there was some of that. There was uh, certainly a, a, an amount, uh, a certain amount of. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. You know, I didn't know if I was going to be coming back to uh, for a second season. You know, I mean, su- supporting uh, uh, featured players. Feature player, you yeah. know, you come in and it's already. Uh, tenuous whether or not you're going to come back right, and then right. you know uh keegan had a real uh, just a super amazing start as as he should have because he just has you know has some, some amazing characters and stuff so f- uh, for me i remember coming to keegan and saying dude i i gotta write something that can't not get picked here that they can't not end love that, they, that they're, they're idiots if they don't love it yeah and so keegan you know he's theater uh, you know master of uh theater Master of Fine Arts. Master of Fine Arts. That was <laughs> horrible. No, it's no. A master's, I'm glad it's a master's did. degree in fine arts. I'm glad it's you an did. MFA. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just an MFA. No big deal. Just an MFA. You know, he's used to uh, kind of what I'm used to is just rehearsing, really getting something Rehearse down. long and hard. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, that was something that we knew that if we presented it at the table – Everyone would be thrilled, and you, you have to pick that sketch. Wait, did you dance yes. at the table? At read? the table read? Yes, we did. Oh yeah, at the pitch, at the pit, at the table read. We we did the whole scene. That's what that was the it. Dancing. it was like, I, I think I think it was. We said, you know, dude, we have to do something where we get up and dance. We have to. Yeah, yeah. And you to... and, and you were for some reason at that time you were very interested in step dancing, which was something... oh, it was because of the. It was before Stomp well, the Yard came out. Because it's very interesting. Well, yeah, it yeah. is. I mean, it's something I've been fascinated by, but I didn't. I didn't go to. I mean, that's like asking why are you interested right. in clown dancing? Right. right. <laughs> it's the most fascinating. It's thing the, the most amazing thing in history. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh my god! It it's is an amazing so form of dance where people wear clown makeup Back and just <laughs> go crazy. Yeah, no, you can't. Why really wouldn't look... you be interested in that? <laughs> well, that's the other little cheat, and you know that, that that's what we do. We really try to ensure ourselves for a certain amount of success. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the cheat there. We know it's something we could pull off, and we know that watching step dancing is just inspiring, amazing. It fills you with something special. So we know if we can do that and get a laugh, boom. This is a sketch that's, you know, it's got, it's got legs. We should explain that one of the things that was unusual, that was different about Mad TV relative to, say, Saturday Night Live, is that part of the people, one of the groups of people that was deciding what sketches got onto the air was non-creative people. So Saturday Night Live, yes. it's ultimately the head writers and Lorne Michaels who are deciding what sketches get onto the air. Correct. Uh, on Mad TV, a significant portion of who's deciding what sketches get onto the air is Fox executives. Well, or non-creative I, I executives, correct? I, yeah, I, I don't know that I that? I don't know that I could completely lump what you may have not liked about the show on Fox. Okay. Let's put it that the way. Folks, the folks right. that worked Okay. We had showrunners right. who were terribly creative people. Oh, uh-huh. yes, yes. Yeah, t- t- wonderfully creative people. And some, yeah, some, we, we have some producers who were really the glue that made it work at all. And, yeah, and right, you right. know, and it did, uh, it did work as far as uh, certainly, you know, the, the, pe- the people creating the show. But they were, were doing concerned. the same thing you were doing. Uh, which, by the way, this is all like relative. This is all a revelation to me. I didn't, it never occurred to me 
that he wasn't going to be on the show the next season. It just never occurred to me that he wouldn't be there. And I thought, what a great thing. There's four black people on this sketch show. Take that, Saturday Night Live. You should explain that you're reverse racist. You're racist against non-black people. Yes, I'm I'm racist against non-black people. (laughs) It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. They star in the Comedy Central program, Key and Peele. In this clip, Keegan and Jordan are heckling a movie in an unusual way, and a a fellow audience member reacts in an even more unusual way. Come on, man, what you doing, man? That's stupid. That's stupid, man. Don't do that, man. Come on. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. Don't go in there. Do not go into a crane shot right now. You kidding me? Yeah, man. I hell yeah. This movie's got an inconsistent visual language. Half the time, this just shooting all handheld like you're a dogma filmmaker. That's funny, since dogma clearly forbids temporal and geographical alienation. Oh, I love that shot the first time. When it was in Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, this is trying to do some homage to the German expressionist or something. It's a visual medium, man. Enough with this, my dinner with Andre. I mean, has this dude even heard of his own song? Put some information up in the frame. Oh, I get it. Yeah. I'm an overexposed mm-hmm. to film. Mm-hmm. Getting a ferial look. Man, this. Can we just go? Hold on, honey. They're actually making good points. On your show, it really is your voice shining through. Um, And that must be, I mean, both very exciting and maybe a little bit scary. Oh, yeah. We've talked. I mean, it's like if anything, if you don't like something or you're offended or you think it's lackluster or something's arbitrary, it is our doing. That's the thing. You could Mad TV is easy. There are a million people there. You could blame anybody else but yourself. Anybody you wanted to, you could blame. You could blame booking or anybody. But I mean, it. no, it's, it's a little scary. It's our brand, and it is our responsibility. Because trust me, if, 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 if a show didn't work and I were an executive, me, if I were an executive, I would throw you under the bus too. Because it's your material and you, you know what I mean? Like I got to feed my family. I got to keep my job. So it's us. It is us. It's I mean, also scary just bearing your soul in that way and putting things out yeah. there that you don't know how it's going to be received. Oof. But, you know, part of doing a sketch comedy show, I feel, I feel like it's our responsibility if we're going to do a sketch comedy show that we put out things that – are scary to us that that do uh that make us vulnerable uh that's that that to me is the only way you know sketch is about pushing the envelope that's what the art form is to me you know nobody wants to see sketch comedy that's the same sketch they've seen time and time again and or it's just a rehash of that thing they need it to be you know we we need to break boundaries so Every time you're like, oh, snap, oh, my God, I don't know how this is going to be received, I also feel just the validation then, okay, this is all the the greats, all my favorites have felt this. And so hopefully it'll come out. You know what happened the last time a guy went on Comedy Central (laughs) with a sketch comedy show and opened himself up, right? Chappelle. 
Right, yes. right. I mean, that's uh, a he guy crazy, who, yeah, theoretically. Oh, that's what. That's well, theoretically, I mean, that's what people say. He, I don't know about went crazy, but he was not happy with what hap- how it worked out for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah, yeah. I guess we, and we, I think it was the opening himself up that. I mean, because there's parts of it that he, and I think ultimately what he was unhappy with is that there was parts of it that he had control over and parts of it that he didn't. Yeah, yeah. Which is to say, he could make even even though he and he and uh, Neil Brennan had total control over their show, and I think he was happy with the product that he was making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he ultimately couldn't. He can't control how it's received. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. No one can. I guess it that. is easy to sort of paint the brush that you know, hey, if you if you ever say no to fifty million dollars, you've lost your mind. Yeah, it's not. But he's in in some ways maybe he maybe he went sane. You know, I don't know. that you know what that's a really good way of saying it, George. I, I think yeah, that's of course what our, the mainstream society that which we in which we live would say. How could you walk away from that? Well, because it was causing my soul damage that's how i could walk away from that what's more important to be who i am in the moment and healthy or to have 50 million dollars and be miserable what difference does it make and i and i mean uh or, or it makes difference it makes a different difference to different people it's bullseye i'm jesse thorne my guests are keegan michael key and jordan peele they star in the comedy central program key and peele Keegan and I have noticed that there uh, seems to be a huge difference between white college movies and black college it's movies. It's huge, yes. And, and white college movies, white college movies are always only about having fun, smoking weed, and stealing mascots. You're right. Yeah. It's all about it. Yeah. Let's drink some beer yeah. off of some Yeah, let's get away with date rape. And in black college movies, the lead always says this line every time. Um gonna go to college <laughs> toward the beginning of the film I'm gonna go as if someone just told him there's no way you're gonna go to college man <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go that's the plot of the film yeah, right yeah, there right. that this guy's gonna go to college and in a white college movie it, 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 a co- college is a given college is a backdrop oh yeah it's about how do I get out of college that's right how do I do as you little I mean? work as possible oh man I'm sick of this trust fund and my dad being a, a, a legacy <laughs> No, black college movies always the same plot. Yeah, I might develop a challenging rhythmical extracurricular activity. Mm-hmm. That's not going to change the fact that I'm going to stay in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it going to be all right, brother? Because nobody going to try to kick you out of college. It's a black college. It's going to be fine. I don't understand. When is going to be the day that we can have a college movie for black people where we get to act like fools? I'll tell you this right now. When a black man dresses like a woman in order to live in a sorority house, Mm -hmm. we will have reached equality. That's right. Well, actually, that that movie exists. Big Mama's House 3 starring Sir Martin Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, can you describe your uh, card game to me? Okay, well, I have a card game that is uh, it's uh, tentatively called the movie game, and the uh, this is just a tentative title. This is the tentative title, right? But it's very descriptive. You'll find. Have you played this card game before? I have not. I have. He has a a wife, and therefore a life. Uh huh. So (laughs) you have to you have to be a sort of down and out nerd to come over to my house. Have you never even created your own card game? No, I know. I've been really slacking. What are you doing? I'm really slacking. I should create my own card game. Unbelievable. Am I? uh, Is is it a card? It's a card game. It's kind of a. 
board slash card game. Well, there's no board, so... No, I guess there isn't a board. You're right. No, you're right. Yeah, you don't need a board. Technically not, but you are, you are dice, correct. That it's much more complex than a card game. Right. There's yeah. dice. There's chips. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a their personal their pad. Their personal pad, yep. And then there are these actor cards. And I don't want to give away too much, but uh, long story short, you... You, everyone in the around the table is a Hollywood mogul. Okay, we have we are in we are tasked with making four movies before the end of the evening. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So this usually each, takes each, per, a, each person, each person, each player, each player, right? And it basically there there are these star cards uh, which yeah. come out and we bid over them to cast them in specific movies. And there are also script cards which have different subgenres of of uh, films on them. Uh, you uh, the better the better cast someone is for the specific genre, the more dice they get to roll for their performance, and so on and so on. And the best part is everybody gets to present their movies in the form of uh, a trailer. So it's a it's a creative, <laughs> interactive, role playing, gambling experience. It's that really is, awesome. Uh, I mean, I know awesome. I know a lot about the game. I've just never actually seen it in practice, which I think would be thrilling. Yeah, I, I I can tell you would lose your mind. You would love it so much. <laughs> you would love it so much. He's you already losing your mind. But look at him right there. He just looks. It's titillated. like it's a grimace. It's like <laughs> it's a grimace of fun. Uh, this is so funny. I was because I was telling you about this before, and every step of the way, you, you burst into well, laughter. It's the craziest thing. <laughs> anyone, we had been talking to each other for like five minutes, and you're like. I bet you're. I bet you're a, a movie fan. I too. bet you're into this. <laughs> yeah, I had. Yeah, I had a feeling you could yeah, tell. I bet you'd enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you'd. You get a kick out of this. Yeah. <laughs> you, no, you would love it. Is he? Does he do this kind of thing on your television program, Keegan? He does. Well, what he do, this is how he talks dur- About- like during a pitch. <laughs> I can say. And then the third reason that the scene would work comedically. I mean, his mother, he's got like three or four levels of why he thinks it's funny. And that'll often be before we've gotten to the premise of the scene, which is amazing. I don't know anybody else who does that. I'm a strategist. He is. Heart, he, you know. It's so funny because I don't think – do you play chess? Yeah. You, okay, that makes sense to me then. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, yeah he's, he's, he looks at everything in a strategical way. I'm a very impulsive, ephemeral mm-hmm. kind of person. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more a performer than anything else. Yeah, his writing is, is, is all the time and on his feet and in the form of improvisation and just character observations, like people he knows, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, you can see, you know, that's one of the reasons he has so much success is you can just have a writer sit down with Keegan and just basically type what he's doing <laughs> and then put it into some order yeah. later or something. You yeah. Know? Well, guys, thank you so much for uh, joining me on Bullseye. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Right there. Got to get you over to play this game. You're going to love it. You got to get over there, Jesse. The second season of Key and Peel airs Wednesday nights on Comedy Central. Season one is available in stores now on DVD and Blu-ray. Every week we close the show with a culture suggestion from yours truly. It's the outshot. I have about 17 jobs. 
I host this show. I do a comedy show called Jordan Jesse Go. I write a blog about menswear called Put This On, and we're editing the second season of that blog's web series right now. I'm even a part-time bailiff on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Oh, and also I have a six-month-old. So in other words, I have stuff to do. So can anyone explain to me why I have been spending every spare second of my day obsessively gathering flowers and herbs in the made-up world of Skyrim? If you're a gamer, I don't need to tell you what Skyrim is. It's one of the biggest games of the year, probably the best reviewed, maybe the most ambitious. If you're not a gamer, I'll summarize. It's like Dungeons & Dragons, only beautiful and immersive and huge and, oh my god, I want to be playing it right now. I don't even care about video games. I mean, I enjoy video games, uh, but I'm not a video game enthusiast or anything. I usually play four-year-old sports games that I buy used for $6.99 at GameStop. The Skyrim, though. Dang. I'm level 31 right now. I've been focusing on my archery and on my alchemy and also on the alienation of my real-life family and friends. I'm especially good at the last one. If you've ever wanted to slip into a magical world and kill some freaking dragons, there's no time like the present. Seriously, this Skyrim, this thing is amazing. Just don't make any plans for the next few weeks. That's my outshot. That's it for this week's Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor, Nick White. Our intern, Lindsay Pavlis. Our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Our theme music is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Our thanks to The Go Team and their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use that. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Support for this program comes from this station and public radio international stations nationwide and is made possible in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the Ford Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. PRI Public Radio International.